kind of lonely girl Would you like someone new to talk to? Oh yeah, alright I'm feeling kind of lonely too if you don't mind Can I sit down here beside you? This is Real Bad, a podcast that explores the Breaking Bad universe, including the original show, spinoff, and Netflix movie. On each episode, we will discuss one season or film where appropriate of this universe. Tonight, we will discuss the Netflix original El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. My name is Jerome Cusan. I'm one of the co-hosts. You can follow me on Twitter at JeromeC1985. I have seen all of Breaking Bad and now El Camino. However, I have not seen a single episode of Better Call Saul. We are part of the Real World Podcasting Network, a network that also includes Superhero Pantheon, Pantheon Plus, There Will Be Movies, Flooping the Pig, and in the archives from Broadcast Depth. Please leave a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, so let's tell people discover the great work that we are doing here. My co-host is Kevin Ford. He has seen everything in the Breaking Bad universe now, including El Camino. You can follow him on Twitter at KFord13. Kevin, this podcast is – this episode is unique in the fact that this is the only time that both of us are going into something completely blind. And I'm proud to say I even watched this movie before you, and I had to do that because it's important because, again – we are reviewing 11 seasons in a movie. This is the only time it's possible. That's right. Yeah. And I, I mean, it was like an hour or two before I was able to watch it. It killed me inside knowing you had seen something that I hadn't. So I just decided to not let that be the case for as long as I possibly could and watched El Camino. And the only thing I knew about it was that Jesse Pinkman was in it. Thanks to the poster on Netflix. But somehow, some way I had gone basically an entire year. I think since it's a release date without being spoiled, which uh, I find to be pretty remarkable. Yeah, I think the weird thing about this is that, like so many other Netflix projects, it's one of those things that got a, a great deal of hype in the first weekend, and undoubtedly a lot of people watched it, but it kind of felt like it petered out after a week or so, and I was very curious as to why that is the case, because, of course, this is a Breaking Bad movie, and it's a really big deal, and I think with the success of Better Call Saul, it has been proven, even if I don't know anything that has happened in that universe, it's obvious that Better Call Saul has achieved some level of success and that the very idea of continuing with this story is not offending anyone's sensibilities and that you can go back and if you could do it well, then you can do it well. And I think that that's one of the reasons that this was, uh, this was executed as is. For sure. And I think it is interesting that it also came out during Better Call Saul. Like it was in between seasons of the show that this was released. So it's like you're kind of in a different mindset for where we are in the Breaking Bad universe. And then this comes out as like a coda to the Breaking Bad series. So, yeah, it is interesting that obviously it got a lot of people watching it. But just in general, not a lot of talk or hype or whatever in the preceding months. And I don't want to say it's like a forgotten part of Breaking Bad, but after watching it, I'm like, I can see why the there the interest was there when it first started and people watched it and liked it, but it isn't it doesn't receive like this major acclaim or hype as being like this must watch part of Breaking Bad and it doesn't receive the same amount of praise that the show itself does. So since this is a movie and 
There are a few things to talk about, certainly, but let's get into a little bit of the history of this. Vince Gilligan, even after Breaking Bad wrapped in 2013, he harbored hopes to conclude Jesse Pinkman's story. He approached Aaron Paul with the idea four years later, with filming beginning in secret in late 2018. Aaron Paul said in a recent interview that there are no plans for a sequel to this movie and that this is considered to be a wrap-up for Jesse's story. Furthermore, Vince Gilligan has admitted that this movie would not have been made if not for Better Call Saul proving successful, which of course it has been. And I'm sure Netflix driving a a, a truck full of money to Vince Gilligan's house and saying, make this movie, that probably incentivized him too, I'm sure. Well, and I'm sure that Netflix probably was seeing the views of how many people were watching Breaking Bad and the Better Call Saul seasons as they were added to Netflix and said – this is probably not a major gamble. If we do make this movie, it's not going to be a flop. Following up on that, what I did listen to, there is a Better Call Saul podcast like there was a Breaking Bad podcast, but they did do a two-episode El Camino one. I think it was actually around when El Camino, they aired it on AMC. So it was a Netflix movie, but I think maybe it's like prior to season four or five of Better Call Saul, they aired it on AMC. I guess it would have had to have been five. So they did like a two-part episode on the the Better Call Saul podcast to, to take a break and talk about it. And what Vince Gilligan had said was he was really happy with how Breaking Bad had wrapped up. But like he said from time to time, like years after the show had passed, he'd be sitting and being like, gosh, how how would have Jesse gotten away from the police and all of this? Like there – it's one thing for the viewer to just assume that he lives happily ever after, but I think in his head, there's the odds are so overwhelmingly against Jesse that it was hard for him to not visualize some way that I, I need to put a better understanding on how he escaped. Uh, and the other thing was at this time when he was thinking about telling the story was they were approaching the 10th anniversary of Breaking Bad. And so the first idea was to maybe do like a 11 or 12 minute epilogue coda as a special 10th anniversary thing of breaking bad with with jesse and explaining how he escaped but the more and more they got into the story it sort of developed into this full-length movie and so he reached out to like you said to aaron paul and a couple other people who like uh like obviously jesse plemons as todd became a huge part of this and really what it sounded like with creating this movie is timing was the big problem and it wasn't timing in terms of making the movie because like uh, like for some reason, it was strangely like um, the minimum amount of days that they give that they, they get like whatever the the overlords of television and movies do. The minimum amount of time you have for a television episode is four days, which I, I think a lot of sitcoms and stuff do. Obviously, we've talked about Breaking Bad and other dramas taking more time. But for movies, it's 10 weeks. So they had way more time to film this than they would a TV show. But the time constrictions are more that Jesse Plemons was in between two movies and he had just had a newborn kid. And then eventually we get Brian Cranston, who they had a total of 36 hours to shoot his part. And of course, they needed to start the next season of Better Call Saul. So there was their own internal time constrictions on this. So it was they had this idea for a movie, but timing had to be right. People need to be in the right place. And there were some constraints going up against it. But uh, I, I was interested to know that it was sort of this idea to put out this mini of Jesse to celebrate the 10th anniversary and explain uh, sort of the happy labor after for him, and then it developed into this full-blown movie. So I guess 
in the original script, you mentioned the happy ending, that originally Vince Gilligan was going to have Jesse Pinkman apprehended by the police at the Canadian border. But it was Gilligan's girlfriend, Holly Rice, Holly, of course, convinced him that finishing off Pinkman's story with him being incarcerated would not be a happy conclusion, given all the character that had been through. And I, uh, I tend to agree. I think torturing him, literally having him tortured by Nazis for months, having him kill Todd, and then having him apprehended by the police at the border, that seems a little bit on the anticlimactic side. Definitely. Like, who who wants to see that? Everybody loves Jesse. It's not like he's this polarizing character, at least from my experience talking to other fans of the show. So, yeah, I don't think there would have been anybody interested in, in having that be the ending. And Vince Gilligan is definitely one of those people who is not one to take credit for himself. I think just the general public, when you watch something, a lot of credit is given to the actors and the director. But he's one who goes out of his way to mention like things like in the first draft of the movie. Jane wasn't involved at all. And then somebody had the idea of having her in the end there and he liked it and he put it in. So he's not trying to take a lot of credit for this. So he, he gives a lot of praise and thanks to people like Holly or his other writers or whoever who have these ideas to make the movie what it is. And I'm definitely glad that she said like, yeah, maybe don't end it that way. You and I are on the same page that the way that it, that it ended up being is much more satisfying. So what you're saying is that unlike Matthew Weiner, Vince Gilligan will not write an entire episode of television dedicated to him complaining about how a woman dared to ask for more credit, which is what the suitcase was. Ooh, I did not know that. That's uh, a bad look. Yeah, it's one of those things that makes you pull your collar and go, not great. Not my favorite thing I've heard today. (laughs) I, I can imagine not. So... It was widely assumed that Walter White died in the Breaking Bad series finale, but there is confirmation that Walter White is dead. I almost wonder if it's one of those things where there are these weird – because, of course, people are weird. And they said, well, Walter survived or something like that. I almost wonder if Vince Gilligan was like, no, we need to definitively say Walter White is dead so that there is none of this. Yeah, I th- I think even there was like, well, what if he lived and all that stuff? And it was just like, nah, that that's a little too absurd. And yeah, again, so he lives. So then what do you do with that? Maybe it's fun to speculate or fantasy, write some uh, an alternate universe where he lives. But I think when you sit down and put pen to paper and you think about, OK, if he lives, then what? And like, does he just sit in rotten jail? Like, again, what what fun is that? I, I think. I think him dying is like the right way to have wrapped up Breaking Bad. So I guess it's good that they put it, you know, put the fine point on it. But I don't know. I never I never gave any thought to uh, a alternate reality where he would have survived and what that would have looked like. So we talk about crackpot theories. So the, one of the things that they do in this movie, so they make it clear that Walter White is dead. But Lydia is not officially dead. They say that she is not expected to live the night, but Kevin Ford, there is still the outside chance that Lydia could live. Yeah, I don't think she does, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, if there's if, if if it's a better call solving, then just it's it's not it's not. But okay. I I I don't know. I again, like why why keep her alive? Like what are, what does that achieve? What are they? What why wait for that? I, th- I think it's silly to to have her stay alive. That's just the final opinion. season of Better Call Saul completely flips it on its ear, and she just stalks Saul Goodman wherever he is in this world. It's, yeah, it's possible. I guess. I guess. Uh, 
yeah, I guess I, I guess it, it's willing to say, you know, this is good. We're going to get to the point where we're recording all of our episodes up up until the final season of Better Call Saul. So I guess anything's on the table to come back and bite us. But I don't know. Lydia does not seem like whether Lydia lives after Breaking Bad does not seem like something I, we're going to get touched upon. Just just a general feeling, I suppose. But I, I don't know. It's it's I you're right. Like, I guess she technically is still alive, but I, I think it's safe to assume she ends up dead. Uh, that is fair enough. So let's get into the movie itself. There's a couple tidbits that I have that I will drop throughout. So basically, the structure of this movie is that you get a lot of what's going on currently or in this what is considered to be the current timeline where there are still flip phones because do we know what year this takes place in? If we go through the timeline, like I think if it's if it does start in 2004 and Walt and it's two years, so this would be 2006, maybe 2007. That's pretty crazy to think about the fact that it's still only 20, 2007 because uh, we get more broken flip phones. So if you're if you're doing the drinking game, you've got a couple of those going on, too. Uh, so we get a lot of what's going on with the current timeline and Jesse trying to escape and thinking of the ways that he is going to escape. And uh, this is rotated uh, with a series of flashbacks. And we are able to get uh, cameos from people who may, not, may or may not be alive, uh, depending on their situation. So in this case, the, the, the movie actually starts with Jonathan Banks as Mike, as he and Jesse had bonded over the over the series. And it is this is where we get Mike suggesting the, uh, the possibility of going to Alaska. It's something that Jesse had mentioned in the final season at some point. And uh, that's kind of how this movie starts is with that. And then we go into Jesse screaming in the El Camino. And just kind of driving around and trying to figure out what he is going to do with himself. And eventually he is he is able to get to Badger and Skinny Pete's house. And I thoroughly enjoyed the banter with Badger and Skinny Pete. It really feels like we got a solid like five-minute mini-movie between those two. And uh, that, that was very entertaining. Yeah, and there's apparently like a big cutting room floor thing with Skinny P2 that never made it. Uh, they talked about the possibility of a Blu-ray or something with some special features, which as of this recording is nowhere to be found. But I would love to see a lot of that stuff. But yeah, starting with Skinny Pete and Badger, great to see them back again, especially, of course, since they just helped Walt not too long before this all happened. Um, and I do like that like Skinny Pete lives in like a, a house he he like got from his grandma or something. So it kind of defies your expectations. Cause you feel like these guys would like live in like the slums, given what we know about them, but no, they have like a, a rock solid house in a good neighborhood and they take great care of Jesse. Like there's no, there's nothing suspicious going on. They're not trying to have him on the uptake. Like they know that he obviously just, he, he looks like, and has been through a awful situation confirmed of course, by the news and just the way he looks and all that stuff. And, they take a great deal uh, of care of him to make sure that he's doing okay physically and mentally and to try to keep him out of the cop's hands. And I'm, I'm glad they didn't try to pull a fast one on us with them trying to turn him in or or some other method that would have had them turn his back on him. Again, that's not what I would have wanted to see from Skinny Pete and Badger, but it was awesome to see them. I'm glad they got a significant chunk of time in the beginning of this movie. That was a, a, a real fan service moment for me getting to see those guys. And and it just logically fits the story too. 
Right. I think sometimes when we talk about fan service, it's worth noting that in an era when so many things are being rebooted and so many things are coming back, that I, I don't think that fan service is necessarily strictly positive or strictly negative. Like I think there are certain moments where fan service, if it works for the story, then by all means do it. If you are just doing it because you're, you just want to do it, then I think that's where you run into a lot of trouble. And I think that that's where certain franchises have gotten themselves into trouble by just doing fan service for the sake of it, I think is a really dangerous thing. And I'm really glad that Vince Gilligan who is, of course, somebody who wrote for the X-Files. And I think one of the issues that the X-Files had when it came back, believe it or not, Kevin, the X-Files came back for two seasons on Fox Television in the last couple of years. And it feels like nobody remembers that. I, I did remember that. I remember the, the movie and that coming back, and um, results were definitely mixed. And I think one of the complaints was is that there was a lot of fan service and just things that were happening because – they were just happening. And I'm really glad that it never feels like this movie, even though there are a lot of returns and people coming back, it never felt like it was, it was egregious in the way that they were trying to insert these people into the context of what's going on in the movie. I fully agree. There, there could have been way more cameos or people that have previously died that we see in flashbacks that they could have done, but everything's to the service of the story. And then that's something that kind of go into the podcast about itself is like, there's so many options and things they could have done, but at the end of the day, it's what serves your characters and your story best. And yes, like obviously seeing these guys and Robert Forrester again and all of that is awesome. Uh, and seeing Walter again is great too, but it's not like they threw, uh, seeing Walt's whole family again or Hank again, or all these other, or, or Saul again, or all these other things they could have done. Uh, they, they pretty much, you know, left well enough alone. And if it made sense, they did it. If it didn't, they, they didn't bother using it. And again, it's this movie wasn't made because Vince Gilligan was hard up for money. Uh, it was made because he had something to say and they wanted to put it out there. And, they accomplished what they needed to with the with the the cast they needed to, and that was that. And I appreciated it for that. I'm sure that Netflix giving him the amount of money that they did probably didn't hurt, though. No, but I but I I don't think that he would have even pitched this idea of the movie if he if right. if he was satisfied and there was nothing else to say about Breaking Bad, he would have just done it to do it. Yeah, I mean, I don't get the sense that he is that type of person, even though we've had now multiple movies or just this one movie and multiple shows with this universe. I could certainly agree with that. Uh, we do get the return of Larry Hankin as old Joe. And Hell yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's just a pleasure seeing him on screen. And it is thought that he is going to be able to take the El Camino and do what he does to the cars by smashing them up. But, of course, that is, uh, that is not to be. Because uh, Jesse, uh, things just continue to go wrong for poor Jesse. He does not have Walter White's luck, it seems. Nope, he, he sure doesn't. But I like that old Joe likes Jesse, even offers to do the job for, you know, for free, you know, wa- waiving whatever fee he has. But at the same time, he can't, he could put it, put his own self at risk. So when it realized like, oh, me taking this is going to be, more of a risk than it's going to be worth for anybody. He has to, he has to bail. Uh, that's, that's just business. So we go, we have a scene where Jesse goes to, I I'm assuming this is one of Todd's 
old apartments. And I think that for me, I think this middle part is where the movie sags a little bit for me. And in an overall sense, I really like the movie, but I think it's kind of inessential. And I think that's, that's the best way to describe it. But I think that one of the concerns that I always had about Todd as a character is that he is a really easy character to write for. And I think he's a really interesting character to watch. But the danger that comes with that is that he, especially because Jesse Plemons is so good in the role, is I think there's always a risk that he is going to overwhelm whatever scene that he is in. And I don't think that that ever happened on the TV show, but I think it happened in a couple of these flashbacks because while a lot of the other characters are kind of in the movie for five to 10 minutes, we get a solid 15 to 20 minutes of Jesse Plemons as Todd. And he is almost a supporting character because he's in the movie so much. And obviously there's a reason that he is involved because Jesse is trying to find uh, Jesse or Todd's money. But it just felt like to me that they were just really leaning into the fact that Todd is this really terrible person. And we find out even more terrible things that he has done. And uh, it just, I think that while the show threaded the needle, it felt like this movie, it just kind of felt like it didn't work all the way. I think it would have worked, but it did. They did linger a little too long on that part of the movie. Like, I think if you condense some of those scenes, down and maybe even like the fake cop stuff went on a little too long in the apartment when Jesse is searching for Todd's money. I think just it it did drag out just a little bit too long. I thought the story was pretty good, but we just spent a little more time around ultimately Jesse trying to get to scrounge up the cash together to go to the vacuum store. And it it felt like a lot of that was done for building the drama around him getting caught naturally and building upon what his relationship with Jesse was like where, and I do like what they were kind of showing with, uh, with Todd and that, you know, he's a sociopath, but he has this, like, it's like, he's a nice guy, but God forbid you find his book of money stashed in his room. Then he has to kill you. And then even like the calm he shows with Jesse finding the gun in the glove compartment. And I like that scene because it showed the calm that Todd had, but it also showed that because of the threat to Brock, like Jesse has no power in their relationship whatsoever. So the couple of things to take away from that is great. But I, again, I think it just was, it monopolized so much of the movie. You were kind of ready to move on to the next thing before the movie was ready to move on to the next thing. Yeah. And they didn't really have a big, bad pun very much intended here. And I think that they were the reason that the fake cop scenes went so long is I think they were really trying to build Neil as a, as a threat. And when you have an entire season of television, you can take different steps and you can do these different things to clearly illustrate who this person is. And you can have these character building moments. And sometimes you can even take multiple seasons. But when you are operating within the constraints of a movie, all of the characters are going to end up just being a lot broader than they are with the TV show where you can get more specific. So while I, again, I appreciate what they did. And I think, Vince Gilligan as a filmmaker, I think that was that was actually the most impressive aspect to me about this movie. And undoubtedly, having a bigger budget helped. But typically, it's for me, it's always been when a Vince, even when Vince Gilligan directs a Breaking Bad episode, the thing that still impresses me the most 
is the quality of the writing and the script. And I think for me, with this movie, I I think that the direction and the filmmaking is actually better than the script. And that's the first time I could say that about a Breaking Bad project. Yeah, that's definitely fair. But I also think it it does show that what this kind of thing can happen when when the germ of an idea is an 11 to 12 minute short and it gets turned out to a two hour and two minute movie, you're going to have some, some air to fill or the, or I guess maybe an, an, you feel like because you only have this limited time to build a character like Neil, you need that extra time to do it. And you end up with what as an audience member, you feel like is a little bit of dead space. So Jesse does eventually find the money. And uh, this really leads to probably my favorite scene in the entire movie. And that's the scene we get the return of Robert Forrester as Ed. This is Robert. This is Robert Forrester's last movie to be released while he was alive. And it was released on October 11th, 2019, which is the day that he died. (laughs) That's insane. I did not know that. I could have sworn. Is that man? Was it really only October? The movie came out. I thought it was October 11th, 2019. And he died that very day and it was announced the next day that is incredible but i mean just the way that jesse and ed play off of each other it's so so good and i talked about in the the todd and jesse scene i feel like some of that lingered a little too long i think i could have watched another 10 minutes of ed and jesse just arguing because it's it's so good. I mean, Robert Forrester is just so good in this role, even though he's in one episode of Breaking Bad and this movie, it, it just feels like he is as much of a part of the Breaking Bad universe as even some of the other guest actors that have been a part of this show. So I, I was tremendously impressed with the scene and the way that it went down. And the idea that Jesse has to go and get the rest of the money because he had split the money in thirds with the with the fake officers, including Neil. So now Jesse, just like Walt, has to go for one last job to get his money so that he can go to Alaska. Yes, I'm with you. I could have watched these two and their interplay all day long. I like a lot of things about Robert Forster's character. I like that he lets Jesse talk himself like exhaust himself with this talking before saying a single word. I like that he's a practical businessman and, and, and his trust isn't immediately regained because he did abandon him the first time. And he's like, well, you owe me for two of these disappearing acts because you, you ditched me the first time. Plus you needed, you need to pay me for this time around. And if you're really serious about this, I'll know you're serious when you pay me double the amount. And he's not stupid. He knows that Jesse probably has the money or has the means to get the money to do it. He's been watching the news, and I love that he calls the cops on him and shows like, I'm not scared. You're not going to mess up my business just because you're in some trouble. I'm going to call the police, and I have this amazing front. <laughs> and who's going to believe Who's going to believe you? you, this guy who's a runaway on the news or me, this lowly older gentleman who runs this vacuum store? Uh, just perfect, perfect scene. Robert Forrester is amazing, just as he was in the final season of Breaking Bad. Uh, and yeah, definitely the best part of the movie. If someone wants to say the Walter White scene, I definitely would not argue with them. But for myself, Robert Forrester and Jesse just nailed it. It almost made the whole concept of El Camino worthwhile just watching these two again. You know how there's this idea of you would listen to an actor read the phone book? Yes. 
Uh, would you listen to Robert Forrester tell you about vacuum cleaners? A hundred percent. Like I was, I don't want to say captivated, but I was impressed, I guess impressed just because like, we know this store is a front, but like, he's so good at what he does. Like he has his stuff together. He knows everything about everything in vacuums. He has great, he has great, just like the, uh, you know, store owner to customer, rapport with the woman who's in the store when Jesse comes in like he he plays the role so well and I guess if you're going to have a front you better damn well be able to play your role to uh, as fine a point as you can like Robert Forrester does I don't want a movie or TV show because Robert Forrester unfortunately cannot play any anymore but if there's a way to do like a novel or something like that I would love to see a novel about Ed because I think his character is so fascinating because of the front, because of how good he is at his job. And I think it's so many movies and television shows. We get this kind of character, a fixer type, but what we don't often get is we don't get entire stories about them. So I'm hoping that that's something that we can get at some point is more stories about these fixers and how they operate kind of on the fringes, but he has to know about vacuum cleaners, but yes, don't, don't ever do a movie or TV show if Robert Forrester can't play the role. A hundred percent. Not that's an interesting concept. Like doing these, like breaking bad novels or things like that to like expand the universe stuff, almost what they did with, Veronica Mars, but, uh, you know, different stories for once. Yes. And of course, just like breaking bad ended with a Western type scene. Uh, we, we ended, uh, with a good old fashioned shootout as Vince Gilligan continues to illustrate how big of a fan of Westerns he is as Jesse goes and gets his money. And apparently he's become a really good shot in that time. Well, I think he had two guns Right, and, he did have two guns, yes. And and he was able to deceive the guy by having the one gun in the front of his pants, but the one in his pocket is what he ended up shooting him with. So maybe the timing's good, but he also had that sleight of hand at his, uh, at his disposal, too, that the other individual did not have. One thing I really did appreciate is they, they have the scene, they have this big scene at the end, and very similar to Walter White, Jesse basically talks himself out of trouble and i think that is a really good that was a really good idea because it shows that jesse has kind of learned and then of course we get the scene with walter white shortly after that so i think it really worked out well in their favor definitely it's it's almost it's it's the showing rather than telling where even if it's not just cooking meth that he took away from walt it's the carrying himself the confidence and the ability to talk his way out of trouble in moments like this and you're right this balanced with then the flashback with Walter was was perfect show uh showing not telling of how much Jesse learned and again this is also a great way to show how much he's grown and gotten that sense back from at the beginning when he's this shell-shocked individual who's hiding away in, in skinny Pete and Badger's house before going on the lamb to now this confident person standing up in a room to five other criminals, basically you know, meth heads, whatever, and taking their money and getting away alive goes to show you his growth throughout the movie and getting his, his supposed groove back, if you will. It's also fascinating to me that there were very few female characters in this movie 
And I think the most dialogue we get is out of Mrs. Pinkman and the ladies of the evening that showed up at uh, the warehouse. Or the well, there's also there. Jane at the end, too. But Jane isn't really a living character, so I think it's a little it's a little different. Yeah, she gets, but she gets the last like n- nice word this before the movie concludes. So I want to count it. Okay, we can count it just okay. just for you, Kevin. I'm feeling feeling generous today, so I'm Appar- gonna I'm apparently. Gonna well, and, and and I know we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but I think given the amount of grief that the Jane character received in her episode, and that she had her death sort of you know prematurely in some aspects, and the way that she died was pretty grim. I think it was a nice way to to finish up the movie and Jesse's story on that. What if Kristen Ritter, as Jane, had mentioned that she recently discovered some superpowers and had been working as a detective in New York City? Look, if they want to bring the Breaking Bad universe into the MCU, although I don't know if those Netflix shows technically count, that's a way different conversation. <laughs> uh, but, e- but either way, it is a Netflix property as El Camino, as are these Marvel shows, so uh, they could have done it. If they if they had the gumption, if they had the balls, they would have done that. Yeah, take the MCU all the way to Albuquerque, New Mexico, for the second time ever. <laughs> Maybe they'll, they'll they discover see- that there's just no nobody with superpowers or anything <laughs> special in in New Mexico. That right? Did, wasn't didn't you say Thor was partially shot in Albuquerque? I well, I didn't say anything about Thor. That might have been. Your podcast partner on Superhero Pantheon, also available on the Real World Podcasting Network, but it definitely was not me. Wait a wait to sneak that plug in there, Kevin. I <laughs> I really appreciate it. You're welcome. You also didn't mention Mars Investigated as one of the defunct shows on the network at the beginning. I need to, I need to do that. I need to add that into mentioning. Uh, so yeah, go back and listen to Mars Investigated, and I think that about. Any, what else do you want to say? Any any major plot points that you think we need to hit before we kind of get into our overall thoughts? Well, we didn't talk about the the Walt scene at all. This is a scene with them going to a restaurant to eat after it, and it takes place directly after the episode four days out, where they're stranded in the desert uh, in their RV, and they get there, and uh, Jesse is just eating up a storm. They're drinking a lot of water again. They're they're trying to make a. Trying to get home, but stopping for some sustenance and to, to refuel. And Walter kind of pontificates to Jesse about life after all of this, potentially continuing his education. And, uh, you know, the big message is that the only person stopping Jesse from achieving more is Jesse himself. And I thought this was a great use of Walt in the flashback. And you talked about filming in secret. There's this Breaking Bad tour in new mexico and they borrowed the rv from that tour for the scene they didn't have the rvs from the original filming anymore and what they did was to keep it more secret is if anybody happened to come to the location and see the cameras and everything else in the rv and they're thinking oh my goodness you're shooting something else with breaking bad their cover story was that they were shooting a commercial for the breaking bad tour and they had the pamphlets for the tour to hand people just in case so they really tried to have all the ground covered just in case they were stumbled upon. But all the external shots where you're looking at the desert are also apparently like all green screened or all digitally uh, put in place because I think they had to end up filming it in New York because I think the only reason they had them for 36 hours or maybe it wasn't New York, but it was somewhere where, it, where they weren't able to shoot in the, the desert land because they had them for such a short period of time. But that was great seeing them again. I thought if they were going to if they were going to use Walt, I think. This would have slipped perfectly into four days out if you were to put it in the episode itself. I mean, it looks a little different the way it was filmed, but uh, I thought it was a great use of of Walter White in this movie. 
Absolutely. I think if you're going to do a cameo with Walter White, you have to have a clear purpose for it. I like that it's so specifically set after an episode. You definitively know in the timeline where it is. And I think in general, I think the flashbacks were very well done because you knew kind of when it was taking place. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, can you imagine Vince Gilligan going to the, the executives and being like, look, guys, we have to go to New York. And they complain. It's like, why do you have to go all the way to New York? Why would we spend that kind of money? And Vince Gilligan is like, well, Walter White's going to be in the movie. And then they just throw money at him. <laughs> just literally throwing dollar bills at him and be like, yeah, go go as long as you need. If you're yeah. bringing Walter White in, here's a bald cap. Here's his <laughs> pants. Here's his shirt. Go for it. And they did. I mean, they did have to go find the exact clothes and make Brian Cranston as close to they could because he couldn't just shave his head because he was doing his work in New York. And I do think he did fly because I think they mentioned saying like they flew him out and, and basically flew him back out to New York the next day. But yeah, totally a worthwhile scene. I also like them having Jesse's parents come back into play with him seeing them on the news and then uh, him having the phone call. And really, it's just a method to to get into their house to try to to steal some more money. So while we see the the parental love that exists with a child is still there with Jesse's parents, even at his worst, he still harbors resentment and such for the way he's been treated through his life. Uh, and I like that that hadn't changed. In some respects. And then, of course, I really like at the end when Robert Forrester drops him off in Alaska, he hands him an envelope to send to Brock. We don't know what it says or or what's inside, but I like that through all of this, he still has Brock in mind and he wanted to send him something money, some some words of encouragement, whatever. Uh, I like that those two things were incorporated into the movie as well. And of course, we could not see the younger brother or Brock because puberty yeah, probably the reason. I, I think I even remember them saying in the last season of Breaking Bad, all of Brock's scenes were of him sitting down because he had grown so much between seasons. I guess that makes sense, though. I mean, kids do get older and get taller. Right. So that's that's definitely a possibility. Yeah, And it's one of those things where, like, obviously, if you don't know that, you don't even notice. But then you go back and watch, it's like, oh, yeah, he's like sitting and playing video games or sitting and eating breakfast cereal. Uh, and that is all very deliberate. So, yeah, I mean, I think that where I come down on El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, is that it was never boring. It was a pleasure to watch. I really enjoyed some of the individual scenes. But when I look at it as a whole, I I don't think that people have to watch this. I think it's, it's a fun watch, certainly. And I think there is some good filmmaking throughout, as I mentioned. But I, I certainly can see why this was unfortunately forgotten as quickly as it was because there's so much hashtag content out there. And I think for this to really shine through, I don't know. I don't know what they could have done almost. I think it's almost an impossible situation, but it feels good that we have some closure with the Jesse story. It was good to see Aaron Paul playing his role again. And I think it's really important to have Jesse return and even to have that Walt cameo because I think that it's it's a nice way of just kind of ending this part of the story. And I think it takes the the pressure off of potentially having those two in Better Call Saul. 100%. I don't know if you use the website Letterboxd, but I love that website. Uh, I'm also on there at K413 if you feel like following. But basically my thoughts are very similar to yours. I just summed it up. I gave it three and a half stars. So I guess like that would be seven out of ten if you round it up to that way. Fun and easy watch, but inessential, as you said. But I am glad it exists. I'm glad I got to spend a little extra time in this universe, see 
with some certainty that Jesse ended up okay. It was nice seeing these characters again. But if somebody said, like, is this a, a, a must watch as I'm making my way through, I would say no. I mean, if you're going to make the time to watch all of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, you may as well throw this in there, too. But I can see why fans were adamant about it and watched it when it came out, but it didn't get a ton of hype because it's a good movie, but it's not this great epic film that is uh, reflective of the show in general, which is you know, I think many people consider to be one of the best shows of all time. So it was a nice coda to the show, but nothing groundbreaking or essential to to making it the most enjoyable experience whatsoever. But again, I'm glad it exists, but it didn't make me like yearn or ache for more Breaking Bad movies to come out. I Yeah, I don't necessarily think that we need to explore this universe anymore than we already have outside of Better Call Saul, which, of course, I'm very much looking forward to watching. But, Kevin, there there's one important thing that this movie is missing, and I think you know what I'm talking about. Is it Huel? Why couldn't Jesse just open up a hotel and say, Huel, you're free? <laughs> Wouldn't that have been, like, the best, like, post-credit scene of all time? It would have defeated every Marvel post-credit scene, for sure. Yeah, I mean... It would have been it would have been an amazing moment, but <laughs> alas, Huel is still stuck in that hotel room, even to this day. As far as we know, yeah, he's just sitting there and uh, heavily breathing, waiting to be let out. Absolutely. So, anything else to say, Kevin? This is going to be one of our shorter episodes, and that's a good thing because our last two episodes have kind of been two hours long. So I'm glad that we could kind of uh, do something a little bit shorter. And given this is a movie and not a full season of television, I think it's appropriate. Yes, as am I to have a shorter episode, uh, a little bit of a break here. And also it's a nice – I don't want to say palate cleanser, but it's a nice change of pace to take us from the final season of Breaking Bad into the first season of Better Call Saul. I've watched every episode of that show. I love it dearly. I'm really excited that you're going to be watching for the first time. We're going to get into it. And I also like that there's the consistency. Unless season six happens to go shorter or longer, every season so far has been 10 episodes. So there can be some consistency to that as we explore and navigate those seasons. Definitely a a bit of a different vibe than you're going to get from Breaking Bad. Uh, Less action, but a lot. I think uh, there's some good heart, some good story going into it. And so I think this is a nice little uh, break in some ways before we get into exploring a, a, a brand new show in a different universe. And I'm just really looking forward to starting that with you next month. We did feel it made sense to do four seasons of Bra- of Better Call Saul, then talk about the movie, then talk about the fifth season of Saul. We just felt like this, this was a better and more organized way of doing it. But I am very much looking forward to next month talking about the first season of Better Call Saul and getting and continuing to dive into this universe, but in almost a completely different way. And that is what we have to look forward to as we enter the autumn months of 2020. The autumn months and really the autumn of this podcast is uh, that's at least for now, it's going to be it is going through Better Call Saul. And then whenever season six comes out. Absolutely. So, yeah, this project is a few. We're still we've still got, you know, five solid months, five solid episodes. Anything else, Kevin, anything to plug? I know I mentioned a lot of our podcasts at the beginning. Anything else you want to mention before we uh, call it a day? I guess just that if you know, if you're one of those people who listened to Flooping the Pig when it first 
was on PW Ponderings and you didn't want to re-listen, but we're waiting for the new episodes. We started with episode 61 in June, so you can start from there and everything from 61 forward is brand new, never before heard stuff. So go and check that out with myself, uh, Brad Garoon and Justin Houston on this very website. All right. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We will talk to you again next month. First season, Better Call Saul. Who still owns encyclopedias in 2020?